Hi, Kathleen Guire here. Welcome to this episode of Trauma-Informed Parenting. Today, I have a special guest, Jelana Goebel, who is the author of A Love Stretch Life, and I'm going to let her introduce herself a little bit further so you can get to know her. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kathleen, for having me. I'm really pleased to be with you. I have five children who call me mom three of whom have entered my life via the foster system. Um, My husband and I have been married for 22 years. We actually started foster parenting before we had any biological children. It's a long story, and I share it in A Love Stretch Life, but we are actually connected with our very first foster child that we just parented for one year when he was in first grade, and we now count him as our oldest, even though there's no, like, formal legal connection. Hmm. I refer to him as the son of my heart and he calls me mom and he's 25 and has uh, three kids. So he's our oldest. Hmm. Then I have an 18 year old biological daughter that's preparing to go to college next year. Hmm. I just can't believe that time Hmm. goes so fast. And then I have a 15 year old biological daughter. And then I have two boys that we fostered and later adopted who are 14 and 11. They are not related to one another. Um, So that is those, that's my family. Um, We just, During our time in foster care, we have actually had my 14-year-old's younger brother be in and out of foster care with us in our home. So I do have experience as being a relative foster parent, um, Mm. but I'm just privileged to be his auntie and not his mama. And um, walking alongside his his mom has been a a deep privilege in my life and has been a huge influence um, in my story in terms of just being able to see the struggles of another parent that's involved in child welfare. So I have to, you know, he's not officially included in our family, but we (laughs) do include, um, you know, my 14-year-old's first mom as kind of part of our extended family and her son. Right, and you talk a lot more about this in A Love Stretch Life, and I highly recommend that you get that book if you haven't purchased it already. And so, you know, tell us about your journey into foster care and all of this that we're talking about. Yeah, you know, my husband and I had just returned from a stint uh, living and working at an orphanage in Central America, and we Mm. literally turned to one another on the plane and said, where are the vulnerable children here? And it mm. almost makes me chuckle. I mean, it just makes me laugh because I'm like, right. oh my gosh, you know, once you're in the world of foster care, you know exactly where the wor- world of vulnerable children is. Right. But that was just kind of a, you know, our naive question. And so at age 25, without a lick of parenting experience, <laughs> we were like, you know, <laughs> we, we're going to dive into foster parenting. And I think as is often the case, there's such a crucial need that like, you know, it is the need is just humongous. And so I think if people kind of express a willingness, um, they're like, you've got the job. Right. And so I think Luke and I look back and, and I think we were a little flattered when they're like, you guys would be great foster parents because we initially <laughs> went in thinking we were just going to do respite. Mm-hmm. And, and sure enough, you know, we kind of were like, wow, maybe they see something in us that we don't even see in ourselves. And to make a long story short, we kind of got thrown into the deep end as all foster parenting does, but they actually placed us in what um, New York at the time called the therapeutic foster program, mm. which was reserved for kids whose, you know, 
whose trauma manifests in the highest level of behaviors. And that was our first, um, you know, our first invitation to what, you know, 24 seven parenthood. Right. Well, and I will, I will say, I'm just going to add something to this that we hadn't even discussed, but I was thinking, you know, when you were saying therapeutic and you were going to be that sort of foster parent, I think it's extremely important when you enter the realm of fostering or fostering to adopt or adopting that you're completely honest with what you can handle. I remember filling out those forms and And, you know, will you take a child with disabilities, with blindness, with this, with that? And I'm just, you know, starry-eyed thinking, I'll take them all, you know? Yeah, I know. And I think that that's so often. I think we don't want to be seen as, like, not being capable or can't handle it. And then I think the wisdom and experience of living through this, right, is to actually Mm -hmm. say, um, there's a lot of strength in knowing who you can provide good care for and who's mm-hmm. going to be beyond your daily capabilities and that there's no shame in saying what this child requires actually supersedes what I'm able to give. And, um, but I think I, like you kind of was like, I don't want to say no to anyone because right. all of these kids are so deserving. And of right. course, all these kids are so deserving. And yet that doesn't, you know, tie a superhero cape around our neck and make us like more capable than we are to engage whatever their specific needs are. Right. Because it is not helpful to the child if you bring them into your home and you're not able to provide that care and you have an emotional breakdown or you you just can't cope. So I think it's, I'm just saying for listeners, be honest you know, if you're yeah. listening to this and you're like, I really want to get into foster care. This sounds amazing. Where are the vulnerable children? Maybe you're saying that to yourself while you're listening. Like maybe you haven't seen them around you. But be honest when you're filling yeah. out all those forms and you're going through your home study and they're picking your life apart and your life history. Be honest. Yeah. You know, it's, it's so interesting. I would say the exact same thing, Kathleen. And then also we know that sometimes, um, not everything is known about these Mm -hmm. kids that we are asked to share. Right. So hopefully, you know, uh, what's disclosed and what's previously known will be shared so that you can make an informed decision. But in my specific case with my youngest child, um, whose name is Charlie, I have permission to, to use his name. He's Mm -hmm. 11 and we got a call saying, can you pick up a little baby from the hospital two miles down the road from you, quote, just wow. for the weekend, end quote. Mm. And so I barely talked to my husband, Luke, Kathleen, because I thought you could do anything for 48 hours. I mean, how hard can it really be? Well, right. that's now my child that has been with us for 11 years, um, much to our joy and delight. And, you know, Charlie presented as pretty typical mm. at the beginning, And then um, he was adopted at age two. And then pretty quickly afterwards, we started noticing just that he was kind of falling away from some developmental milestones. And Mm -hmm. to make a very long story short, at four, Charlie received a diagnosis of fetal alcohol syndrome. Mm -hmm. which is on the spectrum of fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. And... um, it's, it's been a life-changing diagnosis. I mean, Charlie is, right. is smart and he is clever and he is capable of a lot of things. And 
It has put us on a profoundly different parenting path and one that quite honestly, um, you know, if somebody had said, Jelana, are you capable? Like we were just talking about in the previous question, are you capable Mm -hmm. of this, 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 and this? I would have honestly had to say, um, I don't think I can do it. I don't think I would be capable. And so as much as I think it's important to discern well about like where our capabilities lie, I think sometimes, you know, parenthood invites us to stretch our capacity of what we thought we were previously capable of. And I think that there's something very um, humbling and very kind of awe-inspiring about how a parent's, um, a parent's ability to stretch will be stretched when, when, you know, our kids require our tenacity in that way. So it might not have been what we would have, you know, initially raised our hands to sign up for to say, yep, totally, totally confident and capable to engage that. Right. And yet here we are, you know, right. and, and this is our, our parenting journey. So our daily life, um, and the, in the ways that we've had to kind of pivot away from traditional parenting methods that's worked mm-hmm. with our biological daughters and mm-hmm. even our son that, you know, we fostered and then later adopted who comes from, um, a background of neglect. He's still, even with that in his background, he's still a neurotypical teen. And mm. so while there's things there, he, he does not have a brain-based disability. There's still, there's still, um, you know, trauma. Uh, in his background, but having a brain-based disability from in utero alcohol and drug exposure has really been a game changer. Right. And I, you know, we, you and I have talked, I have a very similar story. Our youngest was the same. We brought, well, we brought him home when he was a toddler and I was like, oh my gosh, this is great. He's a baby, you know, he's not going to have any of the issues because the other three, when we adopted them were seven six and four and he was the toddler but he is definitely has struggled the most because of the brain-based disability FASD and having that executive function just not wired correctly and also being on the spectrum which Mm -hmm. is also very common for these kiddos but it is yeah and I think it I think it calls into question I think it just brings right into the spotlight this myth that um, many people want to believe is true and I celebrate it every time that it is true every time that a child is doing really well and kind of overcoming like I celebrate that so much and yet I think um we all kind of want to have this fairy tale belief that like that love is enough or that you know that a child despite their background is going to have a quote clean slate. I hear that all the time. I'm sure you Mm -hmm. do too. People especially think if you get a child that's young, it is like a clean slate, like poof, everything that brought them from having to not be raised in their family of origin and be raised um, by us is somehow gone. If our intentions are to love them well. And you and I just know that is not true, but that's a hard truth it is. to come to grips with. It really is because I have friends who adopted little ones from birth and who have said that to me. Well, I, you don't need to explain things to me, Kathleen, because we got this baby as soon as she was born. I'm like, hmm. Like Dr. Jared was saying on the podcast, um, you know, that those things that trauma begins in utero. It doesn't wait until the child's born. So we have to consider that, too. And I'm not saying that to scare anybody because, you know what, my kids are amazing. They're awesome. 
They've met milestones that I have never don't think I, I don't think I would have met if I had had their challenges and struggles. And I tell them that all the time, like, you are so amazing and you're so awesome. Like, I just can't even believe it. That is, that is really, I mean, it, it, it's amazing. I, I, I feel in awe and inspired by, by my son with his challenges too, because I think I realize that so much for Charlie, that's like walking down a, you know, smooth sidewalk for my other kids is like scaling a mountain for him every day. And when you see that those, you know, he has multiple daily mountains in front of him. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, um, it's amazing to be able to celebrate. And I think that that's one of the gifts. One of the Mm. inverted gifts is that our kids, and there's a lot that can be said about our kids and a lot that can be said about just all of it, special Mm -hmm. needs parenting. And yet I think it's allowed me to kind of slow down and dare I say, celebrate things that previously I mistook for like a low level behavioral expectation with my other kids. Like, why would I high five you for staying buckled on the way to Target? That's just what five-year-olds are supposed to do until you have one that doesn't do that. Right. To start celebrating things that you were like, oh, you didn't swear on the bus today? High five. You you didn't, you know, yank the dog's tail? That's amazing. You know, all of the things that you just would say, well, that's just what kids should do, you know, or shouldn't do. No, I totally, I totally agree. Cause I've even had like one parent in particular, she's reached out to me so many times and she finally decided to homeschool because of this. She would just text me and say, he got kicked off the bus again, you know? Yeah. And so riding the bus home, you made it, you did it. You rode the bus yeah. home. You didn't get kicked off, you know, let's celebrate, right. you know? Exactly. Exactly. So we kind of, I kind of forgot about the questions here for a minute, but that's no, okay. <laughs> why is what we're talking about relevant for parents? Like you're talking about changing your expectations and celebrating wins, changing the milestones for the kids to fit what they need. You know, I think, um, I think it's relevant regardless of how your kids came to you. I think that um, parenthood invites us to pivot it invites us to kind of examine um, what this is bringing up for ourselves. Um, any unfinished business that we may need to like explore further. How? Why is it that that one child can always kind of put their finger on the very thing that makes you want to explode? Mm-hmm. Like, what is that in us? I think a lot of parents can relate to that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so I think we all, you know we all have to wrestle with like, how do we want to engage our kids? Our kids need different things. They might need to be parented differently. And yet I know I want my kids, regardless of strengths or struggles to feel like they are fully accepted by me, loved by me, supported by me. Um, I feel better about myself when I feel like that's the energy that I'm giving to my kids and not the like, oh my gosh, you again, this again, really, we're here, you know, which can be so easy, especially, you know, I have three teens right now to kind of have that internal monologue of like this again, are we really dealing with this? But yeah, I think, I think that it's, I think that's the, the relevant, um, kind of interweaving thread is that like all of parenthood invites us to kind of take a look at what we thought this journey might be like, Mm. recognize that the reality where we are standing in right now 
may be similar or it may be vastly different from the preconceived notion that we had in our head about what parenthood would look like. And then to parent the children we actually have and maybe Mm. not the child or the situation that we wish, you know, could be a little smoother or whatever, but to just try to find joy. And like, this is who has been entrusted to me to love and parent. And oh my goodness, what a privilege. And oh my goodness, aren't they incredible? Um, Right. So, you know, I don't always feel that like, aren't they incredible energy? And yet at the same time, when I can just get a little perspective and take a little, you know, uh, one step back, I feel like my kids have um, taught me a lot. They've taught me a lot and they've honestly taught me um, the the power of a good apology in a lot of ways. Like I've I've been really humbled by... by some of my own reactions to things that I've had to circle back around to my kids and say, that wasn't exactly how I wanted to engage with you on that. You know, what I meant to say was this, can you please forgive me? Um, And I think the, I think it's, I personally think it's really great when our kids can witness us apologizing so Mm -hmm. that they don't feel like it's just a one-way street. Like apologies are what mom expects me to do when I do something wrong, but she never gives them back to me. Right. Like I've tried to really say, gosh, I wish I didn't have so much practice in this category. And yet I do. (laughs) And I want my kids to, um, know that that's, uh, not a bad thing to, to be quick to apologize. Um, I think that's a, that's a parenting strength to apologize is repairing that connection that we've broken because like you said we're always expecting our children to repair that connection say I'm yeah. sorry I shouldn't have done that I shouldn't have hit him I shouldn't have said that word I shouldn't have. and but on the other side are we doing that ourselves because they're watching us and they're going to mirror what we do and if we're quick to say I'm sorry, I really messed that up. I shouldn't have yelled at you. I was frustrated about something else. And that was one thing I would tell my kids all the time. You know, parenting seven kids, there's always something going on. You know, I'm frustrated because I just slammed my finger in the door or I just burnt myself with a curling iron or, you know, something like that. But I did want to circle back to something else that you just briefly mentioned. It's like when our kids are triggering us because they are going to trigger our beliefs and our past and those things when they come up. And I always tell parents, it's so important for us to be making sense of and peace with our past so we can be present in the moment with our kids. Because if we're not, then we're going to be triggered by them and they're going to be triggered by us. And it's just going to be chaos. Can you add to that? Because I know that you feel that too. Yeah. You know, I think so oftentimes, um, you know, for those of us that have sat through foster or adoptive training classes, Mm. for example, we can recite, you know, fight, flight, freeze, right? Mm -hmm. And we we learn about these like primary trauma responses. Mm -hmm. And usually, at least in my experience, those conversations are kind of held in the lens of like, this is what you might see in your children. I think where we miss the boat is to kind of turn that mirror back to us and say, none of us are superhuman. Mm. We are wired to respond in certain ways. Mm-hmm. And even if you don't recognize kind of the primary trauma responses of fight, flight, freeze, you need to know the symptoms of secondary trauma. 
Mm -hmm. You know, are you super irritable? Mm -hmm. Are you really overwhelmed? Are you under eating or overeating? Are you explosive or are you like super underreactive to something that actually could warrant having a little bit more, you know, um, of a response. Right. I didn't realize until later on my parenting journey that those things, and there's a long list of those things. Those mm-hmm. are just a few. Yes. But those things are, are indicative of secondary trauma. Yes. And I don't think I realized that I was going to have secondary trauma taking in and walking alongside the trauma of my kids. Yes. Um, same, same here. And I mistakenly just thought that because I had experienced early childhood trauma, that I was equipped to handle these kids' trauma. Like, oh, I know. I know what it's like to go through that, so I will completely understand them. And that's not how it works at all. That did not work. I needed to learn more about them, about myself, and the secondary trauma that you're speaking of, and the empathy and the compassion fatigue and all of those things. It was, you know, it's still, it's always a lifelong learning process. It's not like, okay, I'm done. It is. Kathleen, remind me of the age range of your seven kiddos. Now, where when they were adopted, the age range now is 35 to 24. Okay. So they are adulting, and the youngest that I was speaking of who is on the spectrum, and by the way, I have bio kids on the spectrum too, so we're like capital letter syndrome soup. We have all kinds of capital letter syndrome, so mix all that together with some trauma, and it's like a beautiful soup of chaos and (laughs) interesting and loving. (laughs) Like I was was telling you today, uh, before we started recording, we have our um, Christmas craft and cookie day tomorrow which we have yearly and I just like it's organized chaos and everybody has fun and everybody some people are like I can't eat this food or this food tastes funny or I need to go in a quiet room you know it's just that's the way it is but yeah so my youngest I just wanted to give him even a shout out even though he probably never listens he (laughs) he um he's training for management in his job. So if you're listening and you're like, well, my kid has all of these things they're talking about and he's still 14 or 15 and and he's never going to be able to achieve living on his own or having a job or he's always going to need a co-regulator and we do co-regulate for him. We do help him understand what his bills mean and stuff like that. But he is an amazing, awesome worker. So he is being trained to be a manager at McDonald's, which we're really, really proud of oh, him for that. It's that is, amazing. That is really inspiring. And I feel like for those of us that are, you know, a decade behind where your son is, it, it honestly is kind of like a little roadmap of hope because mm-hmm. right now that feels almost unfathomable to me as I'm currently homeschooling my youngest just because um, of just the dismal way the special education um, classroom was engaging with him and and the messages that he was receiving of not being capable, of not being worthy, of not being, you know, so we're trying to kind of course correct here. And yet that, like, that gives me a lot of hope to to know that your son is, um, you know, with, um, 
some external brain help, like able to, to do these things. That's super inspiring. Right. And we were talking to him on the phone yesterday, my husband and I, and we asked him, you know, how are you feeling about this training and this promotion? He said, well, I'm really excited, but I'm also really nervous. And I, I just want to cry when he said that because, you know, 10 years ago, he would never even be able to express or vocalize that he was feeling those things. Mm. And so we told him, you know, well, that is normal and it is good that you are feeling nervous and excited because that's how anybody would feel. Yes. So, yeah. And it's just, I mean, I'm just tearing up now just thinking about it. And I'm, I'm so excited for him. And yeah, my other, my, all of my kids have jobs or they're mothering or mm. they're homeschooling their kiddos. Um, mm. So, yeah, it is possible, and there is hope, and there can be healing. And we have to, like Kenneth LaJoy, who wrote, It's Okay to Be You, and he has, mm. he's on FASD, you know, he's on that spectrum of that. And he wrote this book about living with that, and that's one of the things that he taught me is mm. you change the milestones to fit yourself. And teach your children to change the milestones to fit themselves so that they can celebrate and that they can enjoy their life and have a good life. Not every child is going to go to college. Not every child needs to go to college. There are so many other avenues that they can take and live with purpose. And Kenneth yeah. owns his own business, by the way. <laughs> so amazing. if you haven't read his book, that's an amazing book to read. I haven't, but I wrote it down right as soon as you said it, because I I'm eager for those, for those resources. And I, you know, like I was saying, I've learned as a parent to celebrate things that I kind of previously mistook as low level behavioral expectations. Mm. I think what's really beautiful is that transition that I'm hearing you say that Kenneth has written about is, you know, not only from a parent kind of imposing the celebration on a child when they're young, but for, but for somebody to actually feel like they can own that, you know, I'm going to rise up to my highest level of Mm -hmm. capability. I'm going to celebrate that and be proud of that because not everybody's highest level of capability has to look like a cookie cutter pattern. We all have our different, you know, starting lines in life handed to us, which can influence, um, you know, which can influence where we end up. And yet, like you said, if somebody feels purpose, I mean, that's really the thing yes. to be celebrated beyond a job title is, right. is that highest level um, of fulfillment for them. And I, I love right. that. I'm really, thank you. It's a, it's a gray, rainy day in Portland. It's like downpouring right yeah. now. And I feel like I am taking, you know, your son, your son's um, latest job news as kind of my nugget of encouragement for today. Well, I'm so glad. I'm so glad. So I'm going to turn it back to you and say, what are three things you think parents need to know about what we've been talking about? You know, I think, um, I think, uh, one of the things I would say, since we've, you know, talked about foster care and adoption, we talk Mm. about trauma and I think oftentimes we think about trauma in terms of like these big explosive behaviors. And I also think that, um, it doesn't always manifest that way. I have, um, a family member, uh, who has come to my, um, 
sister's house via the foster care system. And she Mm. really like hustles for her self-worth through trying to be overly helpful, Mm. um, with the, with the knowledge of like, maybe, you know, I can kind of prove myself here. And so I think oftentimes when people think about foster care, they think about adoption, they think about trauma. It's yes. The things that, um, you know, somebody offering to like clean the whole kitchen is very different than a child having a volcanic explosion. And yet when we drill those things down, they're still kind of, um, you know, it, that trauma can manifest in a lot of different ways. Yes. You I, just described me. Yeah. You just, that's what I did when I was a kid, you know, I had a lot of childhood trauma, alcohol in the home abuse. And that was me. I'm going to clean the whole kitchen. I'm going to make dinner. I'm going to do all these things. While my mom is out, and when she comes home, she's going to be so proud of me. You know, yeah, yeah, so it can manifest in different ways. And my husband and I were actually talking about this this morning, how our youngest, when he would get in social situations, he's very quiet, he's very reserved. And when he was a teenager, I would have people telling me he's so well-behaved, he's so well-mannered. And it's like, no, he was, you know, yes, he is, but he was overloaded. He was in sensory overload, so... yeah. If you talk to him, he doesn't even remember it. So, yeah, so it can manifest that way, too. It can. It can. And, you know, similarly, Kathleen, when our 14-year-old was a toddler, and we'd raised him since he was six months old. We'd had him for, like, two and a half years at this point. Um, We would, my husband and I would be asleep on a Saturday morning, and we would hear, like, the chair, like, being screeched across the kitchen floor. And he would take the chair, climb up on the cupboard, get his own cereal bowl down, take the chair, open up. And and some of my friends would be like, that is amazing. Can he teach my kid how to do that? How self-sufficient. And I was like, no, on the outside, it looks like, wow, he's really taking care of business, but it's for all the wrong reasons because he doesn't believe that his needs will be met. So he's meeting his own needs, you know? And so it's just kind of that. So I think, um, going back to the first point, it's kind of like what we see on the surface there, there's there's a depth there, right, that we have to acknowledge. We may have a hunch of what's going on, but we mm-hmm. may not realize the full depth of what's of what's going on here. Um, I agree. I think, I think um, like you you said, your, um, your listener that reached out to you and had to pivot with her son's school experience, right? She was so mm-hmm. tired of him yes. being kicked off the bus. She's like, forget this. I'm homeschooling him, um, both for probably for his sake and for hers. Right. That has also been my story. Um, it's not necessarily the storyline that I wanted, but it's the storyline that I'm living. Mm-hmm. And that is having to pivot. Um, you know, it was never my dream to be a homeschooling mama. And yet I am trying to do the best I can with what I've been given. And I actually um, am finding a lot of joy mm. um, in this journey. I'm finding that, um, you know, two and a half hours of concentrated school with my son a day is a, a heck of a lot more than he was getting in a full day program yes. where most of the time he was not being successful. Um, mm-hmm. um, so, and then thirdly, I would say, I really do believe, you know, in the power of apology, like I talked about before, mm-hmm. I think it is one of the most, uh, profound things that has helped me feel connected to my children. You know, I, I think we don't, we don't have the luxury, right, of crafting how our children perceive us mm. or, you know, all of the things. And yet I feel like as much as my kids, maybe even my teens might be like, mom's a little controlling or mom's this or mom's that. Like they know that we are connected. I I just 
try to be really interested in like what they're interested in. Um, I try to be really supportive and I try to be really mindful of like, what's my ratio of no to yes. Um, and to just be, to just be mindful of that. Right. So, yeah. And I, I had a counselor that I was going to, when I was trying to help with my youngest son and he was causing a lot of secondary trauma to everyone else in the home. Um, and she said, I want you to go home and ask all your other children what kind of parent you are. And I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> but I, I did. Hear those answers. <laughs> <laughs> like, wait a minute. Do you want me to write their answers down and bring them in? She's like, no, I just want you to see what they say because you're going to get a lot of variety and you're going to make, mm. it's going to make you feel better to know that his, the way that he is perceiving your parenting is not the only perception. Mm. And it was helpful because, you know, and I won't go into that, but I'll let, I'll let you just add anything additional you would like to tell the audience before we wrap up here. You know, I, I think um, I just want to acknowledge that when you have kids like our youngest kids, um, they are kids that through no fault of their own, through mm-hmm. their unique wiring, they can kind of suck the oxygen out of the room in terms yes. of like, hey, I have this many kids, but they're not all getting an even slice of the parenting attention right. pie, right? Like if I'm not intentional, my son can take up the biggest slice of the pie and I can be left kind of giving the other three the crumbs. Right. And Mm -hmm. so, well, that's just kind of a reality in in our home and that's a tough reality. Um, I just try to be honest with my kids about naming that. I try to look for little ways, like even if it's just like, Hey, can you come with me? I'm going grocery shopping. Let's hop through the Starbucks drive through. Let's have a little conversation. I mean, I think, I think so often times we have to find what, regardless of the dynamics in your home, you have to find these like little pockets of intentionality. And so, um, I think that along with just trying to retain a sense of humor and not take myself so seriously. I think um, I too have really benefited from consistently seeing a a counselor. Mm -hmm. And so I think, um, you know, my tendency is to kind of be like really organized and all the things like I'm not super playful and Mm. I have had to kind of exercise that muscle that in the midst of so much to manage, especially when there's behaviors and and a lot of details and a lot of kids. And I have four kids in four different schools with different, I mean, all of the things, right. I can forget to be playful. I can just think I'm my child's chauffeur and I'm there to take them to counseling and different things. And yet, um, I don't want to forget that I'm, I'm preaching to myself right now. I don't want to forget that because, um, I think that like retaining a sense of humor and trying to find those moments of connection, um, where we can carve them out because they're not going to, you know, fall down from the sky into our laps of like, wow, I haven't opened two hours. Who would like to do something with me? Like that's never going to happen. Right. Um, so I think for me, those are the things that I, um, am trying to, to focus on right yes. now in my and I journey. you know I 100% agree that's what I you know did when all my kids were at home I only have one left at home but it was you know connecting and I even got to the point where when my youngest daughter who's not much older than my youngest son I would just say you know we're just gonna go stay in a hotel and go to the outlets so she could have some time of reprieve away from her sibling and I know yeah. that that's that's even common and just biological children. Sometimes they just need some time away from each other. 
But when you're suffering from that secondary trauma, it's even just more intensified. Yes. So, yeah, I think that's really, really important. And as we say around here, I'm preaching to the choir here because (laughs) that's... (laughs) Um, that's funny (laughs) so before we stop before we close out this episode where can people find you and tell us a little bit about your resources your books yeah um you can find me on instagram at jelana goble you can find me at my website jelanagoble.com um i've written two books i self-published a book in 2009 called no sugar coating and the audience for that book is really those that are thinking about going into foster parenting specifically Mm. it's kind of this pithy little primer you can read it in about 90 minutes um it's like everything i wish that somebody had sat down and kind of straight talked to me about um, before I became a foster parent about the ways this journey was going to kind of practically change my daily life and also Mm. change the emotional landscape of my life. Obviously it's not everything you need to know about that. It's just kind of like what I wish somebody had like given me a heads up about so that I could just be more aware and not learn the hard way. In June of 2020, I uh, released a book called A Love Stretched Life, and that really is kind of the story behind the story of how Mm. I got to all those points, Um, but it's really about how I've been changed in in relation to parenting uh, the five kids who call me mom. It's uh, how I've been transformed in proximity to walking alongside one of my son's um, first moms for the Mm. last 14 years, and... um, you know, it's, it's just a story about me kind of rumbling, honestly, with like grief and joy and like ha- and hope. Like, where's the hope? Where do I find it? You know, am I squinting to find it? Is it really obvious in front of me? Right. Like, a love stretch life is kind of a wrestling with with all of that. And I try to do it with um, honesty and with humor. Yes. And, and you so- did. You did an amazing job with the honesty and the humor and the Oh, me too. Because I was when I was reading your book, and I was like, "Oh my goodness, that that's me. That's that's my son. That's this. That you know." And I just felt encouraged and not so alone. Even though my kids are adulting now, you still have those questions: Did I do this right? Did I do that right? And you never, you never stop parenting, especially if your child has had trauma, and you're still connecting with them. Anyway, I'm going off on another tangent, but thank no, you. Thank you. I, I really thank you, Kathleen. I really appreciate that feedback. I think um, it's a it's I think it's a really powerful um, sentiment to just like know that you're not alone. Right. And I think exactly. so many of us, regardless of what our unique life journeys look like, we're we're better when we are connected and feel like, oh, not just me, too. You as well. Oh, OK. Right. You know, it can give us a little extra shot of energy that we need to to not feel like it's it's just us hanging out exactly dealing with this exactly so thanks for joining me today and thanks for having me you're welcome and i will see you next week audience